Texas, Michigan, Washington, and Alabama. Which of the four playoff teams has the best offense moving forward? You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked on College for $20 off your first purchase. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, we are comparing the four playoff teams offensively. In the first segment, we are comparing the passing offenses. In the second segment, we are comparing the rushing offenses. And I tell you which offense I think is best overall moving forward. And this is the first part of a two-part episode. Tomorrow, we will be comparing the defenses of the four playoff teams, Texas, Michigan, Washington, and Alabama. I just like listing those playoff teams in here in Texas in there, right? So offense today and then defense tomorrow. Which of the four playoff teams has the best unit on both sides of the ball? And in the last segment today, Jalen Catalan has entered the transfer portal as a grad transfer. We discuss all of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So two things. One, I am realizing how hard it is to say transfer portal without thinking about it. I have a tendency to say transfer portal instead of transfer portal. So I'm trying my hardest to say transfer, but if transfer comes out sometime during the episode, just know I tried. Second, um, just know I love y'all, right? And just do, just know I do my best to uh, put out a good show and uh, put out as many shows as I can. This morning, I recorded this show. It was really good. I, you know, finished recording it, uploading it, thought everything was good, realized my mic was not plugged in all the way, and it recorded absolutely no sound. So here I am. What you're listening to is the second time I recorded this this morning. So like I said, just know that I love y'all. You know what I mean? And I'm doing my best to put out quality content consistently for you all as well all right so we're talking texas michigan washington and alabama and as i said on yesterday's show i think that the committee got it right the committee was forced to choose between the best of two evils right and they set themselves up that way by coming up with the 14 playoff with five power five conferences right somebody was always going to get left out this year was just a little bit more egregious because we had a power five conference champion that was undefeated that not did, did not get in in florida state but I think when you look at what the committee was tasked to do, they were tasked with picking the four best teams in the country, not the four most deserving teams in the country. And they were tasked with trying to find the legitimate national championship or legitimate national champion for 2023. And I think the best way to do that while, you know, having the requisite that the teams had to have a conference championship, otherwise Georgia would be in it was by picking Texas, Washington, Michigan, and Alabama. And I just unfortunately don't think that Florida State, based on the way they were playing at the end of the year, was one of the four best teams, right? So, you know, the committee made the decision that was best for everybody, maybe outside of Tallahassee and anybody associated with the Florida State program. It certainly sucks. They certainly deserve to be in the playoffs. But we will know who the true national champion is this year because we have the four best teams in the playoffs. And in today's show, we're going to compare the offenses, right? And all of these teams somewhat have narratives attached to them, right? When you think Washington, you think, oh, okay, you know, explosive passing offense. When you think um, Texas, I'm not sure what people think outside of Texas, you know what I mean? But probably, you know, explosive passing offense, right? And then when you think, you know, Michigan and Alabama, you more so think, um, you know, probably about their coaches and running the ball and playing defense. 
But at this point, when you're 12 and one in a conference champion or when you're 13 and 0 in a conference champion, you've had to win a game in a variety of ways. Right. So all of these teams have won games on the offensive side of the ball. All of these ga- uh, teams have won games on the defensive side of the ball at this point. All of these teams have won games throwing the ball. Right. With their quarterbacks arms and all of these teams have won games running the ball. Right. So you're not going to be 12 and one in a conference champion or 13 and 0 and be a conference champion without being multiple, right? Or having the ability to be versatile on offense and defense. So we're going to compare the four teams offensively moving forward in the playoffs. And overall, when I think you look at it, you know, full body, um, you know, personnel capability, uh, passing and rushing, I think Texas has the best offense overall, right? I have it Texas, Washington second, Alabama third, and then Michigan fourth. All of these teams score the ball at a really good or high, maybe even elite level. Washington is 11th in scoring. They're at the top of the bunch. Texas is 16th. Alabama is 19th, the bottom, but still really good. Top 20. And then Michigan is 14th. So all of these teams can score the ball at a really high rate. I put Texas as the number one overall offense moving forward in the playoffs because I think Texas, better than any of these other three teams, has the ability to win games passing the ball and running the ball, right? I think if Texas can go out there and throw the ball 40 times like they did against Oklahoma State, they have a good chance to win with Quinn Ewers at quarterback. Texas can go out there and run the ball with their two to three running backs 35 to 40 times and still have a really good chance to win. Washington's rushing attack is underrated, but I don't think they can go out there and control the game with their running back, right? Michael Penix Jr. is going to have to win games for them in the playoffs. Alabama, I think they have a really strong rushing attack and they have a really good ability to hit the deep ball. But I don't think Jalen Milrow can beat teams with his arm at this point in his career. And Michigan, they want to run the ball. J.J. McCarthy has been efficient with his passing attempts, but I'm not sure if their path to victory is J.J. McCarthy throwing the ball 35 to 40 times. So I think as far as rushing and passing combined, Texas has the best overall offense moving forward. If we're just talking about passing, I think Washington has to be the number one team moving forward in terms of passing offense and quarterback play. Michael Penix Jr. may very well be the best quarterback in the country this year. I certainly think he's the best quarterback remaining in the playoffs, and he's a legitimate Heisman contender, right? I think you have to put him over Bo Nix because he beat Bo Nix head to head twice. And when you look at, you know, uh, Michael Penix Jr. and then Jaden Daniels, Jaden Daniels certainly has better stats, but there has to be, you know, some merit, you know, sorry, Florida State, but there has to be some merit to a team going undefeated with Michael Penix Jr. as the quarterback. And in fact, not only did they go undefeated this year, they have won 20 straight games dating back to last year and Texas being one of those opponents. So Michael Penix Jr. has just been on an absolute tear since last year. And this Washington football team is a very good football team. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. is thrown for 8,859 yards and 64 touchdowns the last two seasons. I mean, how many NFL quarterbacks have even put up that stat line? That's ridiculous. And like I said, they've won 20 games in a row with the number one passing offense in the country. So um, if we're talking strictly passing, I think Michael Penix Jr. is the best quarterback remaining in the playoffs. And they have the best ability to win two games strictly based on their quarterback's arm. The number two passing offense in the playoffs, I'm going to say Texas. They're 19th overall in the country. And when you look at it, Quinn Ewers played 11 games this year in Five of those games, almost half, he went for 300 yards this year, and he was a lot more efficient going from a 58% completion percentage to a 70% completion percentage this year. Where last year, I think the majority of his games, he didn't even crack 200 yards passing and maybe only had one or two 300-yard passing games the entire season. Now, what's interesting 
is Quinn Ewers only averages 32 passing attempts per game. But the last game against Oklahoma State, we saw him throw 46, right? So he's probably closer to 28 to 30. And I think that that's the range that Steve Sarkeesian wants to keep Quinn Ewers in. Not that he's not talented enough to throw the ball 45 times and it be a net positive for Texas, but we know Steve Sarkeesian wants to run the football. And I think if you ask him his perfect game plan is to run the ball 35 to 40 times and then let Quinn Ewers be explosive in the passing game 28 to 32 times. If Texas is forced to throw the ball 40 plus times in the playoffs or 45 times in the playoffs, would that be a positive for the Texas Longhorns, especially with maybe some inconsistency in the running game without Jonathan Brooks? So I think if Michael Penix Jr. throws the ball 40 to 45 times, that's what Washington expects. That's the foundation of their offense. And that's going to be a positive for them. If Quinn Ewers is throwing the ball 45 times, I'm not sure if that's a positive for Texas or the opponent, which is why I have them second behind Washington. But obviously, Quinn Ewers is certainly capable of throwing that ball 45 times and spraying it all over the field like he did against Oklahoma State. Michigan, I have them third. They are 75th in the country in passing, but only 11 teams pass the ball less on average than Michigan. So they're 75th in passing by choice, right? Not because they don't have the ability to. When you look at it, they're actually one of the most efficient passing offenses in the country. J.J. McCarthy and Michigan as a whole, they were 14th in the country in yards per attempt, right? So they're top 15th in the country in that metric. And J.J. McCarthy completed 74% of his passes this year. Like I said, they just don't really have to run the ball. And foundationally, they want to they don't really don't have to pass the ball. Excuse me. And foundationally, they want to run the ball and stop the run and win games in the trenches. Right. They have one of the best offensive lines in the country and their defensive line is always stout at the University of Michigan. And when you look at the duality of their passing game, right. They won games this year with J.J. McCarthy throwing eight passes, completing seven of them for 60 yards against Penn State. They won that game by more than one possession. And then he beat Purdue going 24 for 37 for 335 yards, no touchdowns. And they beat Purdue by 30 plus points. So, you know, when I watched that Ohio State game, J.J. McCarthy made some of the best throws I've seen by a college quarterback all year. Former five star recruit. He has a ton of arm talent and he's a really good quarterback. And like I said, Michigan is running the ball and stopping the run because that's what they choose to do, not because they can't pass it. If they're forced to pass the ball 35 plus times in the playoffs, I'm not sure that's the formula for success for Michigan. But J.J. McCarthy is capable enough that in a close game, if he had to throw the ball that many times, he could make enough plays to win the game for them. And then fourth, I have Alabama. But what's surprising is even though we would all probably look at um, Jalen Milrow as the, you know, maybe least productive passer of the four quarterbacks, and we would probably look at Alabama as the team least capable of passing the ball 40 plus times to win a game. They actually have the most efficient passing game of any team left in the playoffs. Now, efficiency is efficiency, right? You know, and the more you do something, the less efficient you become, you know, you still have to go out there and actually produce on the football field. But it means something that Alabama is 61st in the country in passing and 125th in the country in passing attempts, but fourth in the country in yards per attempt, right? 9.8 yards per attempt for this Alabama football team. So basically every time that Jalen Milrow throws the ball, not completes the ball, every time he throws the ball, it's an average gain of 10 yards for the Alabama offense. And the ability for them to be that high in that metric, even though they barely throw the ball in our middle of the pack in terms of actual production is because Jalen Milrow is so good at 
throwing the deep ball and their receivers are so good at getting deep and catching those deep balls. Alabama has 17 passing plays of 40 plus yards this year. Texas only has 12. Washington only has 12 and Michigan only has four. And Jalen Milrow only had three games of over 250 passing yards. They were two in one of those games. Obviously, the one loss being to Texas. So even though he only went over 250 yards three times, Alabama has 17 passing plays of 40 plus yards this year. They want to run the ball, stop the run and then hit those deep passing opportunities when they're there and they hit them at a really high rate which is why Alabama has one of the most efficient passing games in the country so this is why I say we have the right playoff and we have four legitimate national championship contenders because even the team in Alabama that you think would have the worst passing offense has the most efficient of the four JJ McCarthy in Michigan who we think of a rushing team is top 15 in yards per attempt and then obviously we know what Quinn Ewers and Michael Penix Jr. are capable of these are four teams that can win games in the playoffs with their quarterback's arm a quick word from our sponsors and then we're getting into the rushing offenses for the four teams vying for a national championship Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to have as many top tier candidates as possible to interview. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. So post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash Locked on College. Remember, that's LinkedIn.com slash Locked on College to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Uh-oh. All right, so now when we're looking at the rushing offenses for the four teams left in the playoffs, Texas, Michigan, Washington, and Alabama, I keep saying left in the playoffs, the four teams selected uh, in the playoffs, it's kind of the same thing, right? You know, when we look at Washington, when we think of Washington, we don't think of them as a rushing team at all. Most people can't even <laughs> probably can't even name who their running back is, but they have a very underrated running game. Like I said, I'm, you know, kind of biased. I'm in the trenches with Texas, so I don't know what people think outside of Texas. But, of course, with the loss of Jonathan Brooks, people probably think that, you know, teams are going to – I mean, Texas is going to win games or try to win games in the playoffs with Quinn Ewer's arm, right? Uh, you know, similar to how they did against Oklahoma State. And then when you think of Michigan and when you think of Alabama, you think, you know, rushing offenses and their passing games are underrated. So when I'm looking at the rushing teams, I rank them as far as rushing offenses, excuse me, I rank them Alabama first. I think they have the most explosive running game left in the playoffs, Michigan second, Texas third, and Washington fourth. Now, it's interesting because the rushing production this year does not match my rankings at all. Alabama's 49th. I had them first. Michigan was 60th. I had them second. Texas was 24th. I had them third. And then Washington was 100th. And I had them fourth. And so a lot of people are going to be like, well, how did you have Texas as the third best rushing offense in the playoffs moving forward if they were 24th on the year? Obviously, that has a lot to do with Jonathan Brooks. But, you know, I'll get into that in a minute. So I have Alabama number one. I think they have the most potential for an explosive rushing offense moving forward in the playoffs. And I think they have the most potential moving forward to control games at the line of scrimmage with their rushing offense and beat teams with their rushing offense. Because when you look at it, Jace McClellan and Roy Dale Williams, the two headed monster at running back have been really good this year, combining for 1,364 yards and 11 touchdowns um, at around five yards of carry, maybe a little under, maybe a little over. I can't remember. Um, and they're both two explosive running backs, in my opinion. You know, Texas fans, I know we shut down Jace McClellan this year, but you remember last year in DKR, he 
went for 82 yards, you know, in a game we lost by one or two points. I think it was one point. Yeah, so that pretty much was the difference in the game. He's explosive. Roy Dill Williams is explosive as well. Um, and then they have two other running backs they bring in at times. Probably won't see him too much in the playoffs. But then on top of that, you have Jalen Milrow, who at any point can be the best athlete on the field and at any point can take uh you know a carry to the house right whether it's in the design running game or you know scrambling and beating a spy or you just not being prepared for him to take off you know playing man coverage whatever it is and Jalen Milrow it's hard to you know evaluate or quantify uh college quarterbacks rushing numbers because college football is crazy and stupid (laughs) and they take um sack yardage out of their rushing numbers so you know I don't think Jalen Milrow has the rushing stats this year that truly embody how dangerous he is in the running game but he does have two games of 100 plus rushing yards this year um and i think he's certainly capable of doing that in the playoffs at any point and he has 12 rushing touchdowns so he brings not just being a mobile quarterback not just being able to pick up a first down he brings that extra element to alabama's offense where he can be a game breaker with his legs a la you know michael vick a la lamar jackson and i know those are the two absolute laziest comparisons you could ever make for Jalen milrow right two black quarterbacks that were really fast and explosive but um it's true right they all have the ability at any point to just take off and when they take off you just hold your breath right and just hope that somebody can tackle them in the open field and most people can't right and Jalen milrow might be the fastest player on the field period when he's going against these defenses so i got Alabama Alabama number one, Michigan number two. We know that they, you know, certainly want to lean on the run and and uh, stop the run, and, and that's their bread and butter. That's their foundation. We saw against Penn State, one of the best teams in the country. Michigan didn't even throw the ball in the second half. <laughs> you know, they were like, "We got the lead. Y'all can't score on this defense. We're going to run the ball, right?" And Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards kind of get billed as the best duo in the country um, because they have name recognition and the way that Michigan plays. But honestly, you know, when I'm watching this Michigan offense. They really just don't jump off the screen to me. You know, to me, Donovan Edwards looks like the better running back than Blake Corum. And Donovan Edwards averaged less than four yards a carry this year. So he wasn't efficient or really productive with his opportunities. Blake Corum had 24 touchdowns, but a ton of those were just the one yard Jalen Hurts specials, right? (laughs) Where he's just on the goal line getting those easy touchdowns. So um, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards did combine for 1,400 yards and 27 touchdowns. They were super productive. But like I said, when I watch games, they just don't jump off the screen for me. And I think teams in the playoffs will have a much harder time dealing with Bama's run game and their improved offensive line over the course of the season than Michigan's run game that's solely dependent on their offensive line dominating at the line of scrimmage and not Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards making splash plays in the running game. Now, J.J. McCarthy does add something to their running game. He's more mobile than, you know, Jalen Milrow just being fast, you know, and, and, and being a true runner. Um, he did have three runs of 20 plus yards this year, right? So if there's an opening, if he needs to pick up a first down, or if you just completely don't account for him, he can gas you in the running game as well. So I got Michigan at number two, you know, partly because it's their foundation, but they're also really good at running the ball with Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, and JJ McCarthy, even if they don't necessarily jump off the screen for me, right? The production doesn't lie. At number three, I have Texas. They were the most productive rushing team of the four over the course of the year. But, you know, obviously, just like we can't ignore the loss of Jordan Travis at quarterback for Florida State, we can't ignore the loss of Jonathan Brooks, who was the leading Doak Walker candidate award winner, um, leading Doak Walker award candidate, I should say, um, when he was still healthy. He was the leading Big 12 offensive player of the year candidate and was averaging six yards a carry. In some metrics, he was 
you know, outperforming Bijan, <laughs> you know, Robinson from last year at the University of Texas, which was crazy. Obviously, he played behind a, you know, a better and more cohesive offensive line, but Jonathan Brooks was just a really good running back. Without him, we don't necessarily know what we have on a week-to-week basis in Cedric Baxter and Jaden Blue. Like, will they be able to match that production? At times, we've seen it. At times, we've not, right? In the first game without uh, Jonathan Brooks after TCU, Cedric Baxter had 100 yards. Against Texas Tech, Jaden Blue had 100 yards, but then against Oklahoma State, both Cedric Baxter and Jonathan, Bru- uh, excuse me, Jaden Blue, both averaged less than four yards a kid, right? So in their last game, even though we dominated the Big 12 championship game, Cedric Baxter and Jaden Blue weren't efficient, right? Averaging less than four yards a carry. And who knows against Washington, Michigan, or Alabama, if Cedric Baxter and Jaden Blue can be as efficient as we were used to Jonathan Brooks seeing or as good as they were against Iowa State and Texas Tech, right? Obviously, you're going to take a step up in competition and defense's face. So overall, Cedric Baxter, 595 yards, 4.6 yards per carry. Jaden Blue, 339 yards at 6.1 yards per carry. Um, you know, they were really good for this Texas football team this year. But now, you know, we know, like I said, Steve Sarkeesian wants to run the ball. And we at some point are going to expect this rushing attack to carry us to win games in the playoffs. And it's kind of remains to be seen if Cedric Baxter and Jaden blue can do that at a high level against the best teams in the country for this Texas football team. We saw against Texas tech, 10 carries for Jaden blue, 121 yards, 10 carries for Jaden blue against Oklahoma state, only 33 yards. So, if Cedric Baxter increases his workload, can he be as productive as he was behind Jonathan Brooks? And if we increase Jaden Blue's workload, who is, you know, always a touchdown waiting to happen, will he still be as explosive once those carries and touches start to go up and those hits on the body start to take a toll as well? And then I have Washington number four, but just like Alabama's passing offense is underrated, I think Washington's rushing offense is very underrated. They are 100th in rushing yards per game in the country. So it is one of the worst, you know, rushing offenses production wise in the country, but they're super efficient, right? They're 100th in rushing yards per game in the country by choice because they only rush the ball 128th in the country in terms of attempts per game. So they're actually really productive in terms of how many times they run it. 128th in attempts per game, 100th in rushing yards per game. And their starting running back, Dylan Johnson, is one of the best running backs in the country. And if he didn't play for Washington with the uh, Heisman candidate and Michael Penix Jr., one of the best quarterbacks in the country and Michael Penix Jr., we would be talking about Dylan Johnson as one of the best running backs in the country and certainly probably you know, probably a Doak Walker Award candidate winner. Now, maybe because the passing game opens up so much, you know, the rushing game is a little bit easier for him. But like I said, production is production. He's the one out there running the ball, taking those hits and scoring those touchdowns. 201 carries for 1,113 yards and 14 touchdowns this year, averaging 5.5 yards per carry. And then the biggest games for Washington this year or the games where they went against the Pac-12's best defenses or most physical teams, he shined the most, right? 100 yards in both games against Oregon, their two biggest games of the season. He had 150 yards in one of those games. He had 104 against Utah, right, which is known for their physicality and their defense. 256 yards against USC, right? We know that they can't stop the run and play in the trenches, and he went out there and exposed them. And then 89 yards on 16 carries against Oregon State, one of the best defenses and most physical teams in the Pac-12. 
Pac-12 as well. So, you know, we think about, you know, Alabama as being a poor passing offenses, but, but they're really underrated. And we think about Washington as having a poor rushing offense, but their rushing offense is really underrated. We truly got the four best teams in the college football playoff. And all four of these teams are legitimate national championship contenders because they can run the ball and pass the ball at a really high level. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're going to get into Jalen Catalan, who has entered the transfer portal once again, this time as a graduate transfer. This episode of Locked On Longhorns is brought to you by Game Time. Game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. See the view from your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. All in prices, show your total up front so you know you're getting a great deal without hidden fees. Buy tickets in seconds with just two taps. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code Locked On College for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute, last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So I learned a valuable lesson this year. You know, we're talking about Jalen Catalan. Um, I guess I learned a valuable lesson last year. This is my second year podcasting, so maybe one of these coming year. Last year, the valuable lesson I learned was that. Um, you know, you have to go out there and play the games, right? And I came out guns a blazing. I started in February last year, so it was the off season, and I was screaming, Texas is back, and you know, Quinn Ewers is gonna be the starter, and Steve Sarkeesian finally got his quarterback. We got B. John Robinson. We were talking about all of the talent on the offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball. And I felt like we were gonna win the Big 12 championship last year, right? And we were certainly capable of winning the Big 12 championship because we lost what three conference games last year, right? And in two of them, we had double-digit leads at halftime. We controlled our own destiny as late as the TCU game last season, and that was in November, right? So we were capable of winning a Big 12 championship last year, and Steve Sarkeesian acknowledged that. I'm glad he did after the fact, after we won it this year. He said, you know, I felt like we could have won it last year, right? So we were um, a good football team last year, right? But you still got to go out there and play the games. And so I was screaming all offseason season. You know, we're going to win the Big 12. We're going to win the Big 12. I was drinking all of the Kool-Aid, whatever. And, you know, Texas went out there and played the games with all that talent, and they ended up 8-5, and five, right? So I learned this offseason to slow my roll a little bit and, you know, wait to see the games, assess the team as we move forward. And there's no problem with not making any crazy predictions in the offseason, right? Just roll as you go. My valuable lesson – sorry, that took me a while to get to that. <laughs> my valuable lesson I learned this year is that if a player is in the transfer portal – there's likely a reason that players in the transfer portal. Now, of course, we've hit goal with Quinn Ewers, getting our franchise quarterback out of the portal, Adonai Mitchell, um, a game-changing wide receiver. I would say Ryan Watts was, you know, definitely more of a positive, you know, getting a starting, you know, stabilizing corner. That was really good for us um, out of the portal. But for the most part, when you're picking players out of the transfer portal, there's a reason they're in the transfer portal and your expectations for them coming in either based on their talent level, their recruiting ranking or what they did at their previous school truly, <laughs> truly has no bearing on what they do at their next destination. And when Jalen Catalan came over in the transfer portal, I based my expectations off of what I saw at Arkansas. And when he was healthy at Arkansas, he was an all SEC safety. 
So all offseason, I'm screaming, oh, we got Jalen Catalan, and he's going to be first team all Big 12, and he's going to be a possible All-American candidate this year. And if he plays 10 games this year for the Texas Longhorns, this Texas Longhorns defense will be a borderline elite defense. And he did not play 10 games for the Texas Longhorns this year. But we still had a borderline elite defense. And Jalen Catalan did not factor into our plans or our success this year nearly as much as I would have expected him to in the offseason. Now, of course, he's practicing, he's playing, he's on the team, he's in the meetings, all of that. So I am extremely grateful for his contributions. He is forever a champion on this Texas Longhorns football team. But I was thinking we were getting an all-American level safety when, in fact, we got a player with marginal production out of the transfer portal which is probably the reason he was in the transfer portal to begin with. So when you look at it, Jalen Catalan this year had 17 tackles and one forced fumble and only played 17% of our defensive snaps. And over the second half of the season, he was really non-existent for Texas. Since the Oklahoma game, he had six did not plays and only played 16% of the snaps against Texas Tech. Now, if I'm looking at this with my third eye, I guess, right? This tells me that, him not playing in the back half of the season had a lot more to do than injury, right? There were more factors that played into that than injury. Because if he does not play the entire back half of the season, but he's available to play in a 50-point blowout of Texas Tech on senior night, 16% of the snaps, but then he's not available the very next week in the Big 12 championship game against Oklahoma State. That tells me he's been healthy enough to play, but they've moved on at the safety position to Keaton Crawford, Michael Taft, uh, Jaron Thompson, and Derek Williams. Now, going into your bowl game, you may be a little bit shorthanded because Derek Williams might miss the first half of the Sugar Bowl, and obviously you'll have no Jalen Catalan moving forward. But we just did not get you know, the production that we expected from Jalen Catalan this year for a variety of reasons, and you know, it's especially in the back back half of the season. And, you know, now moving forward into the playoffs, we're coming into the season. We thought he would be a difference maker for this team. He will not be on the field for the Texas Longhorns in the two biggest games in two of the biggest games in program history. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked on Longhorns, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Remember, this is the first part of a two part episode. Tomorrow, we are talking about the defenses of the four playoff teams Michigan, Washington, Alabama, and Texas. <laughs> Hook them and peace.